be the Lord's will. Our thoughts this morning are found in Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16. Have on my mind this morning the subject of prayer, um, and not just necessarily prayer itself, but how we approach in prayer, why we are able to approach in prayer, and why we should pray. See, the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. We find the first prayer written in Genesis chapter 24 that is openly given again to God. Um, we find the phrase, I pray thee, many times in the Bible before that, but that's the first time where we see the word prayer used in context of a prayer made to God. And it was Abraham's servant that was right there that he was praying to find a wife for Isaac. And he was praying to find a good wife there. And I will echo this as a single man. That is something that I pray a lot for. And I'm the beneficiary of someone who is a child of two parents who have prayed. They tell me ever since I was born that the Lord would send me a good wife, a good woman that I could... Um, have a, have a good relationship with right there and be a husband and be a wife and be a unit. That's something that's critical to pray for. But you know, the first prayer that was ever prayed in the Bible by a man ended in an answered prayer in not five minutes, not ten minutes, in a time just as short as this right here. It was an instant answered prayer. I think about that in the context of my life. I think about the things that I've prayed for that have not been instant answered prayer. I think about the things that I have prayed for that have been instant answered prayer. But child of God, understand this. The Lord is faithful to answer prayer. Whether it is in an instant, whether it's in five minutes, whether it's the other end of a lifetime, He is faithful to answer prayer. And He does and He will. Our scriptures read this in Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. In time, of, in time of need. Verse 14 starts with the word seeing. Now, if it's referencing something that we've seen right, right here, it must have said something before that is the reason of why we would see what we see right now. And we see in the context of Hebrews, all the way back to chapter 1, what does it reference? It references Jesus in a very high and uplifted state. It gives us a very high context of how we should be in awe of God himself. Think about how this, how this book starts. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son who made the appointed heir above all things by whom also he made the worlds being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
Hebrews, from the very first verse, gives you a very high and uplifted view of who Jesus Christ is. It gives us language like he was the express image of God. He was literally God manifest in the flesh. He was no shortage of God. You see, there are men in times past that have portrayed Jesus that he was simply just a man. And I will tell you this, child of God, that Jesus was a man. He was relatable. He had feelings. He had emotions, just like you and me do. But Jesus Christ was God. He had to be God. He had to be a man. He was equally both of them, but he was God manifest in the flesh. He was the perfect man. He was the only perfect man. We go on further in this book, and then we see our place of where we ought, where we ought to find ourselves in the house of God. Chapter 2 starts out, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed of the things which we have heard by... Um, lest at any time we should let them slip. You see, this message that we have, that Jesus is the high and uplifted Son of God, that He is the sacrifice for the sins of God's people, that He truly purged Him and made them righteous in His own precious blood, that is something that we can't take the objective thing and make it not true because He has made it true. It will always be true that we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved by the grace of God. But we can cease to acknowledge that in our life. We can let that slip to the point where we don't view it, where we don't think about it as an effective test. We can take it as a concept, hold it like this, and put it over here, and we can simply just leave it. We can let it slip from us. For that reason, we need to grab hold of it. We need to take heed to the words that the Lord has told us to. We need to embrace those things and go forth in our life rejoicing. For they are words that we should not let slip. He says, For if the word spoken of by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Think about that. If we neglect this salvation, if we neglect the if we neglect and let this word slip, not that it wouldn't be effective to you, child of God. You see, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. There's many things that people have thought about in times past that could separate you from the love of God. Maybe it would be death itself. Maybe it would be your life and you doing something to separate yourself. Maybe it's a certain sin. Maybe it's a certain person. Maybe it's war or famine. Or maybe it's neglect of your own spiritual understanding. Or maybe it's neglect of reading your word, the Word of God. The Apostle Paul, under the inspired inspiration of God Himself, wrote this. Who can separate us from the love of God. Not asking the question of, hey, where's the person that can separate us from the love of God? No, but emphasizing the fact that nothing can separate you from the love of God. It is a cold, hard fact moved by none. It will always be there. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But what the writer of Hebrews is getting to right now, child of God, that's so dire in our life, that was dire at all those many years before now that was written, is you don't need to let that that knowledge slip. You don't need to let that salvation, that timely salvation of knowing that Jesus was the Lamb of God that came and bled and died for you individually. He said, don't let that slip. He said, give the more earnest heed. He said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. He said, be with the children of God when they meet. He said, come and praise me in the great congregation in the congregation itself. We go on further. In the context of the book of Hebrews. And we find in chapter 3 this context of a house. 
a comparison is made between Jesus and Moses here as the leaders of a certain house. Moses was the leader of the children of Israel when they were brought out of Egypt. Jesus was the leader of the, peop of the people of God here in the church as we go out. But you see, Jesus was given more glory than Moses in so much more that he had built the house, hath more honor of the house. We find that verse written here in the third chapter. What that means is this. Moses was leading the people of God in Israel, and Moses was a mighty man. Moses is someone who in the, prof who in the prophets was referenced back dozens and dozens of times, if not hundreds of times. People revered Moses for how he came back. To the people of God led them out of their captivity in Egypt, Egypt, and was a mediator between God and man, seemingly when the Israelites of God's own fury would have been consumed for the sins that they had so rebelliously done against God. But you see, Jesus is counted for more glory than Moses, insomuch that Moses did not make the children of Israel. Moses was appointed to be a leader over those people, but they were not simply a people that he had created. Jesus is a much closer relationship to us than Moses was to the people of Israel because Jesus literally made us. He literally built us up in the most holy faith. And again, this house right here is not necessarily reference of all the people of God, all the elect family. It's reference of the church. Jesus built the church. He is the pillar and ground of the truth itself. He is the upholder of it. He is the maintainer of it. And he is to have more glory than Moses was to lead the children of Israel in so much more that God has more glory than a minister standing right here who leads the people of God. Jesus is accounted of much more glory than Moses, and he is faithful to that extent. We go further down in the third chapter of Hebrews, and we find this context in verse 12 where it says, Take heed. Brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. This concept of unbelief that the children of Israel found themselves in. And again, our belief does not dictate on whether God is faithful or not, but it has everything to do on whether we understand who God is or not. The children of Israel many times were denied blessings because of their unbelief, not because God divvied any from that tract, but because they didn't believe it. They did not follow it. Their actions did not reflect the reality of the situation as it was. Child of God, your and I lot, your lot and my lot in this life are the same in that we should follow the Lord, believe him wholly, not because we want him to be faithful. No, because he is faithful and we should acknowledge him as such, just as the children of Israel did at times. And many times we are just like them. We waver and we fall. We find ourselves in this place of Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. We're faced with looking at the trials of all this life. We're faced with looking for all the sins that are around us. And we have some things that tell us objectively, you should not 
believe that the Lord is going to free you from this. You should not believe that the Lord is going to deliver you from this. But then we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death. That he, he by death should taste death for every man. We see this man who was so faithful in the intercession, in the mediation between God and man in saving a people. We see Jesus, who is faithful in all things, even in this life, to deliver his people from not only death, but also their trials here. We see him as the faithful one. And he says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's something that we need to exhort one another of daily. We need to encourage one another in whatever we're going through in life to say, the Lord is faithful in this. The Lord sees this and the Lord will help. That's the context to which we find these are scriptures in Hebrews 4 and 14 through 16. But it says, seeing that we have a great high priest. One of my problems when I think about the Lord's presence in my life today, when I think about intercession that I would make to God in prayer or whether that be in worship, is there are times that I think that for some reason, because Jesus is not walking in this earth, his feet did not, is not, are not going where mine went, I don't see him right over there, and that he has ascended up into glory, that somehow he is less concerned with the affairs of this life than he was right when he came here. Child of God, there's nothing more untrue than that. In the same way that Jesus was here and he walked on the same ground that we were at, he saw the same things that we saw, worshiped the same God that we worship. Jesus is a very present help. He sees everything that you are going through, no matter how deep. He hears every prayer that you pray. He is a very present help. We find a concept of this in Acts chapter 1, where the disciples wondered the same thing. Lord, will you always be a present help? In Acts chapter 1, and in verse 6, it says, When they, meaning the disciples, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, him being Jesus, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? We have a view of this, where this is not a new doctrine taught. It was taught back then in AD 0, if you will, that the Lord was going to come as a great triumphing king. He was going to enter into Jerusalem, not as the meek and lowly lamb of God, but he was going to enter in as a strong conquering king with an army. And that was taught in Jerusalem. And you see how that would be a very tempting doctrine for them, seeing as they were under Roman oppression for years and years. And they were under oppression before that, before, before the Romans, from the Babylonians. These Israelites at this point were a very oppressed people. And they saw the Lord as coming as this big, tough, just triumphing king entering into Jerusalem. But then we saw how he entered in. He entered in as the meek and lowly Lamb of God, riding on an ass, the colt, the fold of an ass. 
and people yelled Hosanna, Hosanna, and they cast palm trees in his palm trees in his way, for they acknowledged him as the king, and they actually gripped him at that point after that and tried to make him a triumphant king to them because they had an idea of what their savior was supposed to look like. He did not look like that. He died in a very lowly way for what a lot of people would consider their king should have died. That's why so many people thought it was a defeat. But what most people thought was a defeat was the greatest victory the world had ever seen. He fought the battle over sin, Satan, hell, and death. And he was victorious over that in the most mighty way he possibly could. And it was sealed by God the Father himself when he rose from the dead. He was approved in all things. But yet we find here, even after he rose from the dead, that the disciples still thought he was going to be that great and conquering king that would come. We still believe that, by the way. We just believe that that's going to be at the second coming of Christ, where he's going to come with all of his holy angels and he's going to take his ransom home. The very last people, he's going to come as the king of glory. He's going to come with the Lord of his elect people. But he says, Will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And they say in verse 7, And he said unto him, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons for which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, received him, and received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood beside them in white apparel and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from heaven, shall so come in like manner, even as ye have seen him go up into heaven." We think about that. We think about what happened after that. This is just me in my mind, I would, how I would think about it. But I, want, I would wonder if the Lord was going to be with me the same way that he said he was going to be with me. Jesus has gone up into heaven. He has ascended bodily. Jesus as the man physically is no longer on earth anymore, but you see he is still with us. What happened to the disciples so shortly after that? In chapter 2 of Acts, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there were unto them cloven tongues as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. That is the seal, child of God, that Jesus is still here amongst you. Jesus even told the disciples at some point in John chapter 14, I'm going away, but I'm sending the comforter. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. Jesus is still here amongst us, even though he's not here in his bodily form, even though we can't lay hands on him like John did. You see, he could have come in the seeing type, as 1 John would put it, where it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have handled, 
the word, the word of life, which was with the Father, which was with Christ Jesus. We don't see him like that. We have faith that he was there, but we still see him. He is not absent from your life, child of God. He is here. He is present as he will always be. That promise is to you when he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. And that great promise is something that we see in a culmination here in Hebrews 4. When it says, seeing then, that we have a great high priest. We have a great intercessor. We have a great mediator. Not only between God and man in the covenant of grace where he had purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. But here in this life, child of God, you see, we are still wretched sinners. We have the spirit of God within us. We are changed. We are born again, regenerated people of God. And we know the word of God. Here at Providence Church, we just experienced something that was absolutely wonderful. It's something that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. That meeting that we had last weekend, our January meeting. It's something that when you go through it, you can't deny that the Lord was there. Every single service, I felt the blessing of the Lord. In the songs, I felt the blessing of the Lord. Because I felt the Lord singing with us. And it was so precious to me to watch all of you in your service toward the Lord be so gracious in offering yourself and your services to serve the people of God. So many have found a home here at Providence that don't even live here, but they enjoy coming here because they feel the love of the Lord and they feel the Lord himself here. What a blessing that was. What a blessing it was to see the Lord here in the land of the living and to have the confidence that he'll be here again. I love what Brother Patrick said in this prayer. He said it seems like every January it just gets better and better. And I, and I agree, brother. Like that, that really, to God be the glory. But it was one of the best meetings that I've ever been to. And it was a pleasure to be there. But we see that he even intercedes on our frail actions here in time. He interceded on that worship last weekend in our meeting. I trust he's interceding on our worships now. We are not fit as we are in the flesh to worship the Lord. Our righteousnesses, the only righteous that our flesh could ever put forward to God, are as filthy rags. They are sin itself. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. You see, we can bring forth praise from our spirit, but we still need the intercession of God to actually bring that out, to work out our own salvation. The Lord is merciful when we begin to try to praise Him. The Lord is merciful when we begin to try to pray for Him. Because even in our frail attempts, they still fall so short. There's a song that I don't believe we sing in our that we sing in our book, but it says, "Forgive the song that falls so low; an angel's song can do no more." We in our sinful flesh, we in our humanity, we would never be able to bring forth praises to God. We would never be able to adequately request what is in our hearts so the Lord could supply whatever we need to us. But do you know who the mediator with all our shortcomings here is just in life? It's our high priest, Jesus. He is the one that ever liveth to make intercession for you. He's the one who knows perfectly 
Each request that you have in life, even before you say it. You see, the Bible says we know not what to pray for as we ought. You see, sometimes I feel like I could know better what I need to pray for, that I could actually humble myself a little bit more to see what I need to pray for. But in those times where we fall so short, whether we know it or not, the Spirit gives intercessions with groanings which cannot be uttered. There are some points in our life, child of God, where we see those things that are waiting up on us so so greatly, whatever it be, whether it be a struggle in life with the family, whether it be a struggle with a friend, whether it be something that is just so heavy that is waiting down on you that you don't know what to say. Jesus knows what you want to say, and he intercedes for those actions with groanings which cannot be uttered. Does he understand what you're going through? Does he understand through experience, what you have gone through in your life. For we have not an high high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Before we go any further, I would like to emphasize this point. If we turn our Bibles a page over in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26, it says, For such an high priest became us, that means it was a necessity for us to have him. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. You see, Jesus Christ was a man. He was the Son of God, but he was sinless. He was separate from sinners. In all capacity, he had no sin in him. That's why he did not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For this he once did when he offered up himself. You see, child of God, there are doctrines in the world today that essentially tell you that yes, Jesus offered himself up once, but we must give The uttermost farthing, we must give a little bit more to his sacrifice that he has given in order to make that effective. This scripture right here says, For this he did once when he offered up himself. He does not need, as other high priests, to enter in once for his own sins and to atone for those and then give the offerings of the people. You see, that's what the Israelites had to do because the Levites, who were the Levitical priesthood at that point, they were the ones who composed the number of the priests. They had to go in and offer up a sacrifice for their own sins. Why did they have to do that? They were a man, just like you and me. They were a man like Moses. They were a man like every single um, child in Israel. At that point, they needed intercession Because they were sinners. They were sinners by nature and they were sinners by practice. You could look at those people and you could see where they fell short. Just like we can when we look at all the world around us and we look at ourselves. We see where we fall short. That's why God made an ordinance to say, Levitical priests, you need to offer for your sins too. Before you offer for the other people. Because you are unclean just like they are. Jesus didn't have to do that. 
He was separate from sinners. He was made higher than the heavens. He did not need to offer up himself you know, one time and then offer himself up later. And he doesn't need you to offer up yourself either. Why? Because he hath perfected them that are sanctified. He did it one time. When he has perfected a people, that means that those people need nothing added to them. If something is perfect, nothing can be added or else it, or, or else it might become imperfect after that. But we go back to our verse when we say, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Is Jesus really touched with what we're going through in life? Does Jesus really feel it? Does Jesus really understand it like we understand it? It is very hard for me to convey to all of you, it's an impossibility for me to convey all of you how high our Lord is. I think the best place that we see it in this life, I know the best place that we see it in this life, is in this assembly, is in His church, is in places like we were last weekend where we just feel lifted up with the Lord and we see how big He is, we see how knowledgeable He is, we see how deep His love is for us. But it is an impossibility for me to show you how big God is, how knowledgeable God is, but it's also impossible for me to show you how much the Lord cares for you. One of the best examples that I can show you, however, is in John chapter 11. Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. We find there a very sad scene. A very good friend of Jesus has died. They had buried him. And he was in the tomb for four days. Now I understand that we all have our own ways of mourning. Some of us show it more outwardly among other people. Some of us keep it inside. But I will tell you this, child of God, Jesus knows that you are mourning even if you don't show it to other people. Jesus knows your needs better than you know them yourself, and he has the balm for your needs, whatever they may be. And even if you don't tell anyone about that, if you tell our Lord about that, he is able to help. And he does help. But we find here a semblance of this in the 33rd verse. When Jesus sees the weeping of Mary... It says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Think about this. This is the Son of God, made higher than the heavens, the one who would sit down on the right hand of the majesty on high, among the throne, just beside the throne room of God, in heaven itself. This is the man that Scripture says he groaned in himself and was troubled. Let's go further. He said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And it says, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, Falsely, I might add, Behold how he loved him. Jesus was troubled. Jesus wept on this occasion. Let me ask you something. Have you ever seen, like, a trick played on somebody where you know it was, where it was a trick, you know? And it's like, 
while this person is going through all this turmoil, wondering why, wondering why the situation is like, like it is, and they're like tricked in their mind, but then, you know, they see the end of the culmination of the trick, and they're like, oh, it was a trick, right? You're not suffering at the time, at the time when that trick is playing on that, played on that person, correct? Because you know it's a trick, right? That, that example frailed for what, I want, for what I wanted it to be. I apologize. I was on the spur of the moment, but... Let's say it like this. Jesus understood in his mind that there was no reason to weep here. They understood that Lazarus was in heaven. They understood that Mary, at this point, though they saw their brother dead, that she did not have, in a sense, a reason to weep because Lazarus was okay. Jesus understood that he was going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. He understood that at this time everything was going to be okay. But yet Jesus still subjected himself to not only groaning and being troubled, but to weeping. Jesus, at the most deep point he could, felt the sorrow of Mary. It moved him to weeping. It moved him to being troubled into his spirit. Not because he didn't think everything was going to be all right. Not because he wondered what the, what the end of this situation was going to look like. But because he cared for Mary. Because he cared for his people. Because he cared for the family that was there. Does he love Mary more than he loves you? He loves all of his children the exact same. He has the same love for you that he had for Mary. He has the same love for you that he had for his disciples. He has the same love for you that he has for all of his children. Child of God, I'm convinced that any time that you are troubled within your spirit, I'm convinced that any time you have a deep sorrow in your heart that Jesus enters into that with you. We have a high priest which not only is able to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, we have an high priest which cannot not be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Every place that we fall short, every place that we falter, every place that we doubt, he comes to us like he did the dear prophet Elijah when he had just slain 400 prophets of Baal and the wicked woman Jezebel was coming after him to kill him. He comes up to you and says something just to the extent like, what doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you so sad? Why are you in this place? Jesus feels that, child of God. If you don't get anything else out of this message, I want you to understand that but by the intervention of Christ, he would not see that. But by the mediation of Christ upon your prayers, upon your worship, he would not see that. But because of the mediation of Christ, he sees every single one of them perfectly, no matter how perfectly you think you understand it. And for that reason, not only do we hold fast our profession, not only do we have this profession of serving the Lord in his church specifically, but also in life, do we have that profession specifically that we hold to that and will never let it go? But we also understand that we have access 
into this grace to pray to him, to worship to him, to where he understands all of our faults and failures, the things that we would like to say to him. We understand by him we can enter into that boldly. He says, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. And that does not mean arrogantly, but it does mean confidently. You see, Jesus has left us no question in our mind of whether we can do that confidently. There's a verse in James chapter 5 that I trust is not unfamiliar to us. I know it's not unfamiliar to us, but it's always made me scratch my head when I read, when I read this, when it says in verse 16, the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see, that sounds all good until you see yourself and you understand that you're not righteous. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So why does the word of God say that? Is it just kind of tempting us to say like, well, you know, your prayers could work, but you're not righteous, so they don't. That is as far from the truth as it could possibly be. Possibly be. The last verse of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 reads this. And I'll have to turn to it just so we don't want to do the word of God any injustice. The last verse of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 reads this. And I confess to you, there are some things in the word of God that we are not able to describe because they are at such a depth to where us as feeble man cannot understand. And one of those things is the breadth of God, how big God is, how deep God's understanding is how much he knows, how much he loves you. We can't express that. So the Lord has to come and express that for us. And would to God that he would now. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We don't pray in isolation. We don't worship him truly in isolation. We worship him based on the shed righteousness of Jesus Christ, based on his blood, based on what he has given us. Of our own selves, we would never be able to pray to the Lord, but because we do it through him, Every intercession that we make to the Father, the Lord hears that, and the Lord blesses that. That is why we are able to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In closing, I want to go to the 10th chapter of Hebrews and tie this together a little bit. says here in verse 19, having their brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And that's where your prayers go. It goes to the throne room of God as a sweet smelling savor to God. God is pleased when you pray. God is not ignorant of the things that we pray for. And sometimes I ask myself in my feeble flesh, as I'm going about my day, rushing around the hospital or rushing around the home or whatever, whatever it might be, why, I ask myself why I don't pray. It's not like the Lord is ignorant to it. If we have a burden, we should cast it. If we routinely have a burden, we should cast it routinely. No matter how much it takes, the Lord understands it already. 
But he is pleased when we give that burden to him. And I tell you, child of God, there is vast relief in giving those burdens to him such that I can't even communicate to you. There were years and years of my life where I didn't really understand that. There was a lot of, I made prayers, I did pray every morning, every night, and, every, and at every meal, but I didn't understand the value of what it meant to pray. The more thick you get into life, the older that you get, and I'm 21 years in, y'all keep praying for me. Um, I don't understand a lot, but that's why I pray. The things that I don't know to do, bringing them to the Lord in great detail, bringing them to the one that I know where my help is found, even if they sound foolish to everyone else, the Lord understands those, and the Lord cares. Prayer is just as much a time to listen as it is to bring your requests unto God. It is just as much a time to praise Him as it is to bring your requests and listen. There's a scripture in Psalms chapter 27, and it is a prayer of David. It's a very common chapter that's found in the Bible, and you don't have to turn to it, we'll just reference it. But it's the same chapter where it says, The Lord is my light and, sal and salvation, in whom shall I fear? If you go down those six verses, the, David spends the first part of that chapter glorifying the Lord and telling us how majestic, how majestic he is and how much he has led him in his life. Verses 7 through about 12 after that actually really sounds like a prayer. And David brings his distresses to the Lord and says, here you are. The last two verses of that read like this. I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. David did not bring that prayer to God in hopes that one that maybe this is some Hail Mary effort that, you know, I can't do any of it by myself, so I guess I will just bring it to God. David starts his prayer being confident in the Lord, and David ends his prayer being confident in the Lord, understanding that, yes, even though I am low right now, even though I don't understand where I'm going to go at this point in my life right now, even though I don't understand how my prayer is going to be answered completely, he understands that he has confidence, and he's going to see the goodness of the Lord again in the land of the living. We don't have that confidence because of us. We have that confidence on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's all of Him that we understand this. But we find here in Hebrews 10, he says in verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, here's what I wanted to get to. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an, evil, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You enter in like you understand what the Lord has done for you. You, understand, you, you enter in living on the faith that you have. It is a great blessing to be able to live like we understand what the Lord has done for us. You see, the justification that we have in the courtroom of man, the justification by works, it does not affect 
what we know. It does not affect what the Lord has done for us even. It's separate from justification by blood and justification by faith. But I tell you, child of God, the blessing of letting your light so shine, the blessing of when others see and glorify your Father, which is in heaven, not so it would bring you glory, not so it would bring what's around you glory, but because it would bring Him glory. That's the highest praise that we can bring God. When I see someone like you all out there, being faithful on the Lord's day, studying the Word of God and seeking Him with everything that you are, I have confidence when I say when I see that that your faith really means something to you. That's the greatest blessing that I can see out of any one of my friends. It is a blessing to see that. He said, "Let us draw near with a true heart, with a confident heart, and full assurance of faith, understanding the one who has given us that." Understanding who is the one who upholds that. Let us hold fast the profession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good work, unto good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another daily, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The confidence that we have in the Word of God, the confidence that we have in the Lord Himself should lead us to pray more. It should lead us to approach our worship differently. It should lead us in our life to understand what we read in the Word of God should, re should reflect how we act. How would I be if the Lord said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? And then yet, I find myself so seldom to pray. Who would I be in this life if I, if I believed the words, whether two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Yet I have neglected the attendance in the house of God in my life. Who would I believe if I believed all the treasures of both the wisdom and the knowledge God are hid in the Lord Jesus Christ and are hid in his word when he reveals it to you and I don't read my holy scriptures. Child of God, there is confidence to be found in seeking the Lord. There's confidence to be found whether when we pray to him, when we worship him because he has given us the methods by which we do them and it is not through our own merits, it is through the merits of him. If I've said anything that is amiss, please come to me. Um, I always wonder, I always wonder about that. Um, I covet your knowledge. I covet your prayers. I love each and every one of you. Um, and the Lord bless you. And thank you for your kindness.